be one of the first Australians to get a football master's degree and join GIS's global network of football leaders. Apply now to start in February 2023. Learn more at gis.sport slash fnr. That's gis.sport slash fnr. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! The short, sharp A-League men's season, it was here in a flash and it feels kind of sad that it's been taken from us so soon. Not permanently, of course, but the A-League men's season coming to the end of its opening six rounds before the World Cup break. And it is a it is a bittersweet hiatus, isn't it, Oscar? Because we've we've come off the back uh, of of a great weekend. You almost don't want it to stop, but then equally the reasons for it stopping are about as worthy as you can get in world football with with the World Cup. I mean, I think it's it's exciting in the sense that that we get to have a second honeymoon period when we come back, like the the excitement that was building two weeks before the season. We get to relive that all over again whilst watching the finals of the World Cup. Uh, well, no, that that would have that that would coincide. By the time it comes back, the, the finals of the World Cup will be happening. Of course, yeah. Uh, no, but but as as you co- correctly point out, what a weekend of, of A League men's football that it was. It was a fantastic weekend. I, I wish there was more coming up, but. There's not. Well, there will be in the future, but not not Finish next. On a high though, I not next week. And we, out, we did the A League men's did give us plenty to savor. And as we are every week here on the Oz Football Hour, I haven't even introduced the program yet. That's what we'll be uh, <laughs> dedicated to reviewing. Myself, Lockie Flanagan, and Oscar Rutherford here for GIS, of course, as we have been every week on this program for the past few weeks. Uh, the Global Institute of Sport. We're also going to be joined by. Uh, our one of our regular co-hosts on this program, who is Jason Goldsmith. Now, the reason he hasn't been here is because he's been overseas uh, touring his book. I think at, a, at an international writers festival in Manchester. That's a, that's be my guest. Is a, a cheap plug while he's not on the airwaves yeah. for be my guest by uh, Lucas Gillard and Jason Goldsmith. But he's touring that book. He's been to Manchester. He's also spent some time in Glasgow as well and watched Celtic. So he's going to be joining us later on in the program to uh, give us a bit of an update on his enjoyment. He can almost be our our Sydney Super Cup preview, even though there's not a <laughs> not a lot of time to preview it. It is literally tonight, um, which I know <laughs> you caught me off guard. I know, oh, and right. I think I think it's caught I think it's caught many people by surprise. Wow. Is it is it tonight or is it tomorrow? Maybe it's tomorrow. I'll, okay, I'll get Oscar to, to run run seconds. the numbers and and double check that one. But Jason has been. He's seen Celtic with his own eyes. He is as qualified as anyone to talk about it. So looking forward to, to speaking to him about it very soon. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Okay. And that's the Sydney FC Celtic game FC. against Celtic. And then there's a few more over the course of the yes. weekend. But that's the focus. Um, so that's, the, I mean, that has snuck up on, on everyone, really. Indeed it has. But we'll be able to get a, a preview on Celtic's last match going into that game from Jason Goldsmith. But mm. before that, Oscar, we do have to go through... What was, as we've mentioned, a fantastic round of 
of A-League men's football. I mean, the derby feels like the obvious place to start. Do you, do you want to zag and go somewhere else? No. Or should we get into the, the juicy bit? Start with the good stuff. It's like a kid eating you know eating dinner. With they, no discipline. Like really. if it's steak, chips and salad, mm. you know, an adult, a mature person samples a bit of everything as they finish right. the entire meal. Mm. No, we want the chips straight away. And the Sydney derby was the chips. And a very tasty... Chicken salted, you know, nicely deep fried serving of chi- a large serving of chips. It was that's just my preference. I yeah. guess everyone's got their own yeah. thing, but it, it was a it was a great serving. It delivered um, maybe off the park more than that's it right. did on. It was it was a it was a derby game, wasn't it? it? It was like the quintessential derby game in which the sort of physical and battling elements of football came to the fore, and they were soundtracked by. An A-League's atmosphere, as good as we've seen for, gee, probably, I mean, probably half a decade. Yeah. Not like abs- that long. It, it, it was that good, and it was really, really exciting. And I think it's a, it's the reward for having an, a strong start to the season for Western Sydney Wanderers in particular. Of course, you've obviously got the new stadium as well. And, yeah, as you say, it, the, the football itself on the pitch wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot to ride home about. There were, there were some things, but that wasn't really the main takeaway. And I think it really demonstrated that when you have such an atmosphere, such an occasion, such a crowd, such a rivalry and intensity, I think that's that's the other thing is it's not just the the size of the crowd. It's the, the vitriol and the adversarial nature of that crowd. And uh, as a result, we, 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 we come away from the match thinking and feeling that rather than concerning ourselves with whether the game of football happened to be of a sufficiently high quality. Well, you you say that, Oscar, and, and yet, you know, the, there were people out there who, you know, did sort of think, oh, it wasn't the best game. I mean, the highlights package, the mini match for, for the contest started at, at minute 33. There were mm. some who felt like the opening half was a drag. But speaking to you off air, you, you thought that that 45, the opening 45 was almost the more interesting. I mean, what... For a half that a lot of people thought, well, it didn't necessarily leave a, um, you know, uh, give a lot to the people who were who were watching it just for the football. What did you take? What did you find fascinating? I mean, you you said it was possibly Western Sydney's best half this I, year. Why? I I really did like the first half from Western Sydney, and I actually thought they played better in the first half than the second half, even though they, of course, scored the goal in the second. There, I just found that Western Sydney this season, despite their success, haven't really blown anyone away with the football that they've been playing. Mm. But I thought that the connection and the cohesion and their capacity to progress the ball with having maintained the vast majority of possession because Sydney FC were unable to do so, which was, of course, also a reflection of the fact that Sydney FC were poor. But I thought in particular Milos Ninkovic was as involved as he's... or more involved than he's been at any other point for Western Sydney, Mm. which I think was a product of his... Mm additional uh, adrenaline and motivation. Yeah, to I mean, he's, he's had some solid games, I think, a, yeah. a couple of good ones, but this was clearly his, his best. And he was more involved in this His most impassioned, for sure. Yeah, and and I think that that allowed Western Sydney to play better football because I think so often there's this, you, you see the, the top of the pitch kind of isolated from everyone else, the midfield, the central midfield, and, for example, Kripic and, and Ninkovic is kind of, almost lost sometimes in the middle there, kind of is he contributing to the midfield? Is he up there supporting Kripic? And there was kind of neither of those Mm. things I found a lot of the time. But I think that Ninkovic was running harder. I think he was getting more involved, moving up and down the pitch. And I think that that changed 
how Western Sydney functioned with the ball. And I think that enabled, for example, the wide players to get further up the ground and to become more involved. And and, and I really liked what I saw from Western Sydney. And, and for me, it was probably their best performance of the season. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I feel like fundamentally, you know, Ninkovic was a massive part of this. And look, Sydney, Sydney have got, I think, issues in a lot of different places mm. on, on the park. And I think they came to the fore most uh, aggressively and most egregiously in the, in the second half, particularly defensively. But for me, the middle of the park, that really was where this game was won and lost. Mm. And I think a lot of that was down to the movement and the willingness of Western Sydney's midfield to, to do things and attempt things that Sydney's just weren't, either to the same uh, success, same consistency, um, yeah, either of those two things. I mean, the amount of forward runs we saw from from Ninkovic, we, we we got a bit of that from Caceres, but I thought like I felt he was quite well handled. Whereas you you and then you contrast the sort of role that that Bratton played. He was offering a bit on the defensive end, but really not like very much at all going forward. Their, their midfield seemed a bit listless in terms of what it was actually trying to do, how it was able to help what was happening further afield whereas like as you said there were some times where it was a bit disjointed but I don't know Western City's midfield seemed a lot more proactive in helping to progress the flow of the game Ewenhoff was able to not just win the ball but also help carry it forwards and then really the two biggest chances of the game come from as you said before Milos Ninkovic having that extra energy to make make bombing runs and, you know, one to, to to miss a chance or have a chance save that he should have scored and the other to, to play the assist for, for Yengi. And I think the story of Callum Neuenhoff, of course, is obviously the thing that I think Western Sydney people in particular love to point out and rightfully so, the fact that, that he came from Sydney FC. I think if I were affiliated with Sydney FC, I would be especially frustrated because it's not as if I don't think it's a surprise to see Callum Neuenhoff doing as well as he's doing. Like, like we knew that he was as good and he just wasn't given the chances. Of course, injury played a role in that too. But we knew that this is what he had and, and Sydney FC decided that that wasn't what they wanted and Western Sydney have 100% reaped the rewards. I think not only does Luke Bratton not give as much or provide as much going forward, I think he actively limits what Sydney FC can do. I think that this was the game where Patrick Yazbek was the least involved of any that he's been. And I think Patrick Yazbek is having to work really, really hard to influence games. Do they do they step on each other's toes a little bit, do you feel? I think Patrick Yazbek is lost at times. I think that he's being asked to, to do something that doesn't make the most of his strengths to accommodate Luke Bratton. Mm. And, and I just don't think that... Like, sure, on the ball, technically, he can play some nice balls. And from a set-piece situation, he, he can do some nice things. Luke Bratton clearly has some qualities. And, of course, off the ball and defensively and those other intangibles that we can, I guess, say less about when it comes to, you know, leadership and, and team unity and all of those kinds of things. But but with the ball, he, he is, I find him slow. And I think that that... Uh, and, and unimaginative. And I think that that really makes it really difficult for, for Sydney to do anything through the middle of the park. And so they become even more reliant on Robert Mack and Joe Lolly to do things, which which is how 
pretty much all of their chances or their goals at least have come this season mm. is that Robert Mack and Joe Lolly do their thing and, and I think they've been quite valuable in those roles. And I guess that lends itself to the question of, especially with three weeks coming up for, for Sydney FC to reflect and, 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 and tweak and potentially make changes, do, how much pressure does this result put on Steve Corica? Because I think the the big thing for me, and it it came to the forefront in the most painful manner for Sydney in this game, just because of the the context of what this game means mm. and and who was involved and the most important players in the win for the most part being former Sydney players. Um, it doesn't feel like a system. Like, like a lot of talk has been made about, okay, we're going to develop a new way of, of playing. Um, this is the sort of clean slate. We're divesting ourselves from the sort of Arnie Ball or, you know, Graham Arnold disciple style, and we're trying something different. But whatever's there, it just it, – it doesn't feel like it's maximising the whole ele- – like all 11 players on the pitch are getting the best of it out of whatever they're trying to do because yes has it in some games amplified the talents of Mac and Lolly absolutely I think you can't argue that they've both even though Mac I think had a difficult game in the derby they've both had really really uh, standout performances but Patrick Wood mm. the, you you cannot tell me that that system played to accommodate for his strengths and what he brings on Saturday and the opening three, four rounds before his injury, you certainly couldn't tell me that the system was getting the best out of Adam LaFondra. And for me, what is a a coaching system there for if not to make the best of what you have? And I do feel like it's not doing that at the moment. I think that the other thing that is relevant in this discussion is that is the role that Western Sydney out of possession play in making that dysfunction of Sydney apparent. I think mm. that Sydney have been able to kind of get away with it in, to a greater degree than they were against Western Sydney, who, if nothing else, have consistently proven themselves well-organised and difficult to break yeah. down. In a way that, like, to be honest, I find difficult to analyse in the sense that it's not always clear to me what they're doing so much better than other teams. But whatever they're doing, it, they've proven week in, week out that teams have a really hard time against Western Sydney in a way that isn't true across the A-Leagues, or across the A-League men's, A-League men's competition. And and that reality meant that the, the limitations of how Sydney FC play, I think, were so evident for everyone to see. I, I think, that, as you say, Patrick Wood had his least involved game. I think Patrick Yazbek did the least that he's done in any game, same with Anthony Caceres. And it's if you just leave it to Luke Bratton all he can do is eventually play it out to Mac or Lolly and hope that they can cut inside and play a ball mm. or have a shot from range. And that's the, like, Western Sydney, uh, as you've sort of just intimated, like, Western Sydney are going to be well aware <laughs> of the fact that that's what Sydney are trying to do and is why they were part of the reason why they were able to keep them, um, you know, largely relatively quiet. And I think that, like, the midfield and the the forward play is almost the bigger concern for me because those are full-strength areas of the park. Like, the defence was bad, and, like, we were watching the replay of some of the highlights and, like, the Ninkovic goal... Sorry, the Ninkovic chance. The Sydney... Sydney FC's defence... For those who don't remember the play, uh, Suleiman Krupic drifts into a sort of wide position. Uh, Kler is carrying the ball. He comes inside and sort of crosses over. And so... 
what happens is both central defenders are dragged across to the ball side and leave this massive gap between James Donachey and Ryan Grant that Milos Ninkovic runs into. And so Kler holds yep. the ball, passes it to Kripic and plays this perfectly weighted pass uh, you know, ahead of the defensive line to Ninkovic, who's found the space in between. The defensive shape was terrible. The The two centre-backs shouldn't have been pulled that far across the pitch, but you can kind of forgive it because they are missing key contributors in that area, yeah. right? But further afield, the midfield, the, the front three, uh, with the exception of Lafondra, but then there's an argument to suggest whether he's the even the best player for that, what they're trying to do, um, it's just not is not delivering. I think focusing on the absences in defence is missing the point. Yeah, it's and I've seen Sydney FC point to the defensive absences as this is why things aren't going the way. I mean, we it's want it's, it's a problem, but it's actually the part of the pitch. Like it's a problem that is the most easily explained. Yes, and and you know that being an issue doesn't distract from what else is happening which is for me is is of a far greater concern. And I suppose Sydney can also point to the fact that they they've considered 12 goals in 6 games, which indicates something problematic at the back. But I think that that's quite a narrow view and that fails to appreciate how the whole team contributes to an effective defence essentially. And, oh. and 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 it's very easy to point to the absence of the likes of Alex Wilkinson to explain that away, but but I think in reality it's it's much it's a systemic problem it's it's a a product of the system and the way that they play which as you say isn't getting the most out of their players and and i mean it's not impre- it's not particularly fun to watch and they've tried to change something and i think credit in the for the recognition of the need to refresh the approach by Steve Corica but i think what he's changed it to has continued to reveal a limitation to his tactics mm. uh a- any other bits you want to touch on with this game nah. okay I-, I did want to just throw one more thing in i mean obviously the the atmosphere the sights and sounds of the game were, mm. were good it was it was the biggest crowd i think biggest post pandemic crowd that the a-league has had i think the biggest since the tw- the eighteen nineteen grand final so that's a great result i thought the actual uh, not not to lean too hard into like the media watch kind of areas, but I actually thought the packaging of the broadcast of this game mm. was really well done. Yeah, like the amount of camera angles that were available, like Sydney F. Uh, sorry, Allianz Stadium, just looks like it's been really well thought out into the best possible vantage points for like showing the game. They had heaps of cameras on the actual fans themselves. Like I, I got a really good as someone who was just sitting at home covering the game got a really good insight into yeah. what it would have been like to actually be there. And also the scheduling of the game, I thought, massive tick. Like the the way the opening six rounds had been uh, planned out to build anticipation and then kind of leave people wanting more before the World Cup break, yeah. I think it's been really smart. It would, it would have been very easy to lean into that temptation that we've had over the stretch of just getting the juicy games in early, getting that kind of sugar hit in but to, to sort of dole them out over the opening six rounds and culminating with this one, I think I think they've done a, a very good job of that. And all we can talk tactics and analytics all we like, that all becomes significantly less relevant if you can get the entertainment, the showpiece right. And they got and the it was a showpiece. And and and, it, and they got it right. And that means that despite the limitations of really both teams and the fact that it wasn't a particularly, you know, flowing game of football. 
I still had a really, really good time. 100%. Well, we'll get on to the rest of the, the round of uh, action shortly. I know that Central Coast Mariners is a team you want to get on to yeah. eminently. I was going to say, Jaden Kuchowski, wonderful. Give him more time. He Great looks player. really good. Yeah, and Segacic, uh, just unfortunate with that, That's with that chance. Yeah. Also, a, also a good player, but Kuchowski's... I, I, well, he's been good when he's, he's come on. He's, he's got something. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get on to the rest of the games later. For now, we've got to welcome someone, uh, a beloved figure of this program, back to it. Although although he has left us at the moment. I'm trying not to hold that against him. I speak, of course, of Jason Goldsmith, who is getting up uh, in the, the wee hours of the, of the morning over in the United Kingdom to, to join us in the midst of uh, his European sojourn. Jason, great to have you uh Back on the program. Welcome back, uh, albeit digitally. How are you enjoying yourself as you travel through the UK and inject uh, Ange Ball deep into your veins? I'm good, thank you. It's uh, yeah, a little bit early, still adjusting, trying to adjust to uh, the time zones. Uh, I've only been here since last Friday, but uh, it's good. It's good to be amongst some football culture. This seems to be something that I can do or, you know, places to see pretty much every day, but it's been fantastic. Well, I've been trying as best I can on this station to plug some of your your reasoning for being over in in the UK. But for those who might not have caught the start of the show, might not have caught our, our chat with Benita Merciades on State of Our Football Nation, uh, what, what's the, the primary, obviously football, you know, you're catching a lot of games. So what, what's the primary reason for, for you being over there? Take us through what, what's, what the, the crux of it is. Sure. So uh, I'm in Manchester at the moment, and this Friday and Saturday they ha- are hosting at the City Football Academy an international football history conference. So uh, Lucas and I pitched our book, Be My Guest, to them, and we're one of the presenters uh, on Friday morning. So it's covering all codes, uh, rugby league, American gridiron. It's, it's mainly football, mainly the world game. There's even some uh, AFLW. There's another speaker from Melbourne. But, uh, yeah, we have 20 minutes to pitch our book. Um Unfortunately for us coming halfway around the world, the football stops next weekend. So we came the the weekend before to try and catch what we could. And we uh, managed to go to the Celtic game last week. Um, We're going to a Northwest Counties game tonight. And uh, we're going to sneak off on Saturday to a League Two fixture as well. So we're squeezing in some football as best we can, as well as some tours here and there as well. Sorry, Jason, I've got got to ask, is the the Counties game tonight, is this the, the director's box game? Yeah, yeah. Now, you've, you've got to so, elaborate um, on this because you, you've been talking to me about your plans for this trip and particularly your plans to go and see this Northwest Counties League game off air, but you haven't brought it in yep. front of the microphone. People need to know you're, you're not just going to the game in any old function. You've got you've booked yourself out a, a corporate director's box with, with a whole food and drink <laughs> well, package for, what is it, 50, 50 pounds or something? Tell us, tell 40 us. 40 quid, 40 quid. It's... um. It's Avro uh, playing Glossop North End. It's about 12 Ks um, out of Manchester in a place called Oldham. Now, we were going to go and see them. It was going to be a midweek fixture, but it's actually a Manchester Cup tie. So they're expecting a crowd of 1,000, and we noticed they had a, a function where you get to sit behind glass, you get a program, you get you know some food at halftime, and you get drinks an hour before the game in the full 90 as well. And... Uh, they switched the fixture and, and they're only expecting a, a, a crowd of about 150 to 200 people, but they have uh, accepted our 40 pounds. We thought we would spend that at the pub anyway, being on tour uh, <laughs> and it's worth checking out. So uh, yes, that's tonight. We're looking forward to cheering Avro on home. 
Well, let us know in the uh, in the comments if you if you're watching on. Well, is there a, have you been to a more niche a niche game than a Northwest Counties League? I can offer. I'm going to come to you on this one, Oscar. I don't know yeah. if you've got any obscure ones. I mean, the MPL's close. Uh, regional Liga. I've cracked the Regional Liga. Okay. Watching Dynamo Berlin play. God, the, a team so obscure that I've forgotten no. who their her opponents were. And then Scottish League 2. I did Edinburgh City against uh, Aloha, I think. I simply cannot match either of your of your depths of <laughs> down the footballing pyramid. I, I, I thought it was niche enough that you'd travelled to Europe to promote a book in the <laughs> national uh, or the international football writers festival or whatever, like I, I was thinking, gee, that's a bit random. But you, you've outdone yourself, Jason. I must say, thanks, thanks, Oscar. Well, there's actually Sunday, there's Sunday league stuff this weekend as well, which we might try and catch because <laughs> we were going to go and see um, the women's Super League Everton play Manchester City on Sunday. Mm. They've actually moved the fixture to Saturday because of the no World Cup to make it a bit prime time, uh, which is great for women's football. Not so great for my itinerary. So we've got Sunday free. And I, I, I put up some 11 a.m. Sunday league fixtures to Lucas and he's uh, he's not that into it. So we might have to find something else to do. Well, one of the other things you've been able to do, and we've, we've hinted at it a few different times throughout the program, is to go and watch Celtic in the flesh. Mm. You're one of a handful of Australians who have probably had that privilege of seeing Andrew Celtic play in person of late. They're down here. They they they've they've left you and they, they've <laughs> returned to your home, You're holding the fort, your home nation here in Australia <laughs> to play the the Sydney Super Cup. I'm, I guess, uh, what was their last most recent game? I think it was a, a a late win. I can't remember the opponent, but I think it was a late win against. Was it Ross County? It was Ross County. Oh, yeah, it wasn't yes. um, it wasn't a big week end for Australian players in the Scottish um in the Scottish League on Saturday. Like we got there early to watch St. Mirren on the TV, St. Mirren play Rangers, and Bacchus, County Backers was on the bench. Um, then Hearts, of course, had a um, – Atkins didn't, didn't play, Rolls' was red card, and, and Cammy Devlin came off after 60 minutes. And then I went to watch Aaron Moy, and he didn't get a minute at all, <laughs> didn't play. But the um, – Really promising signs. Uh, anyway, guys, at 6 a.m. Uh, on Wednesday <laughs> against France. Get excited. <laughs> well, and, and all the guys, actually, all the guys that aren't going to start for the Socceroos are the ones that scored, aren't they? So they're, mm. we're going to have some impact off the bench if you've got McGree and Quoll and, and J-Mac um, kicking go- on Goodwin kicking goals for us. Mm. They're the ones that we want in the starting eleven, anyway. Um, yeah, Ross County are famous for having goalkeepers named Ross, uh, among other things, in the Scottish <laughs> League. And um, you got to be famous for something, I guess. Penalty. Yeah, they went ahead with a penalty. Uh, in the second half. So they're 1-0 up at Celtic, and it was quite amazing. As soon as Celtic went 1-0 down, the crowd, like, audibly lifted, and the atmosphere changed, and you th- you just knew they were not going to lose that game, and they scored two more la- late goals to, to finish off the game 2-1. But it's one of those things, I guess, unless you sit in the, uh, an atmosphere of a stadium like that that's quite revered and famous... Mm. It was pretty amazing to, well, to get I mean, through. I was actually sitting. How good was it? Because I remember I went to Celtic Park for a midweek fixture against Hearts. I went in the away end, and I was blown away okay. with the the Celtic Park noise. And so I I set, I feel bad because I set I set the expectation levels quite high for you in terms of how good the atmosphere was. I really sold it. <laughs> did, did it deliver on yep. on what you were hoping for? 
It really did. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the noise, so it, like it's because it was the last game of, into the World Cup, we couldn't get tickets sitting together. So Lucas sat, um, is my co-writer. He sat on a different part of the ground, and I managed to get a season ticket holder for through a contact. I was sitting with uh, this guy's dad and his uncle, so I at least had someone to hug when when Celtics scored, which was nice. Um, and a very very sweary man about two two um, two seats down from me who. Uh, who rivaled, uh, if you've watched Train Spotting, Franco Begbie in terms of his uh, language and his descriptions of the <laughs> the referee and the opposition. So I got the full Scottish um, experience. It was quite amazing. See, I've had that experience as well. Except it wasn't just an angry, sweary man two seats behind me. There was one, you know, three seats to my left, two seats in front of me. Yeah. They, they were pretty much everywhere. Pretty much. Or so all... a lady walking, lady walking down the street, lucky. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, I guess. The the thing I want to sort of ask and maybe you know round off is that they are here now, as we've mentioned. Yes. Who, who are the who are the players to look out for? Who are the ones that impressed in that Ross County game? The, who are the ones that we might see play? I mean, they've got Sydney FC tomorrow night. I don't know if you caught the yeah. derby. Who who are the players that might be in line to to put a few goals past Sydney potentially? Uh, I, I guess um, I think Kyogo is not in the Japanese squad, so they got four. I did. We did the tour of Celtic Park on the Sunday, and the players had already left to fly to Australia, so we had swap positions. But they have four of the Celtic squad are playing in the World Cup, or in, they have been picked. So there's one in the Japan squad, one for Australia, obviously, one for the States, and only one of their three big Japanese players is in the Japan squad. So I'd say Kyogo. I don't think he'd be the one to look out for. Mm. Um, and their goal scorers, and to, Turnbull was one of their goal scorers. And of course, um, for anyone that's been fans of the, the Premier League, I'm not sure if he's out here, but Joe Hart in goals is someone to, to look out mm. for too, I guess. I don't know if uh, Yakimarcus is going to play. Mm. George Yakimarcus, he's, oh, I love him. I love him. He's a great player. Yep. One to watch out for if and you're watching stuff. I think they'll, they'll, he'll rotate the stuff, the players off the bench. Like, why would you risk them, yep. you know? In yeah. A, you know, no. mid-season friendly, I guess. You know? Absolutely, fair enough. Well, Jason, before we uh, before we let you go, what el- what else is uh, on the the agenda for the next couple of weeks? Because you're you're away for for quite some time. I'll be stuck oh, with Oscar for long much time. longer than I want to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, well, it's a it's a long way away to get to this part of the world. So I actually leave Monday morning UK time and don't get back. I get back in time to watch the Socceroos France on TV at home. Um. But late, but yeah, no. We do, uh, tours of Old Trafford, tours of Etihad, uh, Stockport County versus Leighton Orient on Saturday in League Two, uh, the wonderful Manchester Cup Northwest Counties game tonight, uh, and yeah, in the conference on Friday and Saturday when we're presenting. So, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty full. I actually went to uh, saw a performance of Football Cliches, which is a podcast. Oh, Jason, on the, you didn't mention that yeah. before. Oh, I love that was Football last night. Cliches. Yeah, they did a live. They love that. Um, yeah, I, for I my sins. I can't believe you didn't I say this. I saw it last night. Like, yeah. Oh, it, ha- it was. Oh, so, I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. <laughs> yeah, so I've I've immersed myself with as much football culture as well. I've done some um, book interviews yesterday and the day before as well, uh, and hired a cover. Yeah, football cliches was live, um, which was very very funny. Oh. And I, I've written some down to either pull you both up on or use myself uh, when I'm back. <laughs> I'm so. I, I mean, I thought. Being in the director's box for the mm. the Northwest Counties League fixture, I thought that was going to be the peak of my jealousy. But finding <laughs> out you've seen the the Chrome Dome of Adam Adam Hurry in person, 
Oh, that really. Take a picture. That oh, that takes the cake. <laughs> He's got a picture and everything. So jealous. So yeah, jealous. Not with him. No, of of the performance. Not with him. But I'll send him to you. Yeah. Still envious. Jason, just before you That's go, plan, plan. Sorry, I'll go. No, no. Sorry, you please finish your sentence. No, no, no. I said I planted my flag in. Uh, I planted my flag in the soil of uh, football cliches during the game. It was uh, yeah, wonderful. Jason, I, I, I did, ha- I do have one question. I've been dying to ask you, frankly, for, for as long as I, yeah. as I've known about your, your book and, and and your tour and everything, your your book lab- And again, again, shameless plug on your behalf, be my guest. With this uh, conference and this and this pitch that you're doing, this presentation of your book, called again, I, I repeat, be my guest. Have you prepared some form of musical interlude or some form oh, of, no. of, of, of alternative this is culture such an introduction? I, I, I just, <laughs> I have to know. It feels like the opportunity screaming for it. Uh, I haven't, but if if anyone's around Google or has a um, can look this up or on Spotify or, or whatever, Lucas is a big one for Cinnamon Stick. Performed by the 1970 English World Cup squad, you might have to look that up. But that's what that's what he um that's what he wants us to put in there. But we haven't put it together. But yeah, yeah, do some research on that one. Who's the beauty and who's the beast? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'd have to take uh, take the beauty bit. Thanks. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree. Good, good that you good that you said that while the beast is not around, he'd be very upset with it. <laughs> Well, Jason, uh, enjoy the rest of your uh, trip. Safe travels back home. Uh, safe travels to the Northwest Counties League tonight. I'm sure you'll be nice and safe behind the glass wall of your director's box. But uh, hopefully next time we get to speak to you, it's uh, it's it's in this studio, Jason. Thanks, Lockie. Thanks, Oscar. Have a wonderful show. We'll speak soon back uh, in Australia. And, and go to Socceroos next week, yeah? Very good message. Indeed. Very good message indeed. That was Jason Goldsmith, uh, one of the hosts of this program, the writer or the co-author even of Be My Guest. If we say it enough times, I'm sure you know it'll it'll get some conversions happening. What did you just call it? Be My Guest. Okay, good. Yeah. So I thought you said Be Our Guest. Sorry, no, I, I, that was just that's, me. That's you trying to trying to wedge theatre into the discussion again. I just feel like it's it's standing. It's it's right. There. It does stick out at you. Know? It's, you're, it's, you're it's all right. I've been able to think about. I mean, I feel a bit like that when Jason told me he went to see a live recording of football cliches. Mm. That's all I can think about. Yeah, it's it's tough for me. It's tough for me to take. He's, uh, a, he's a he's a powerful man. Anyway, Jason. look, you're banging down the door of getting into a bit of theatre. So I, I think, with a, a view to going back to the review of this weekend, mm. should I indulge your theatrical sympathy? Sim- uh, Sympathies. Sympathies. <laughs> and uh, go to what was one of the most dramatic games of the weekend. What, actually, one of the most dramatic match days of the weekend because it was it, Sunday mm. was, was an afternoon for the ages, I think. Let's, let's start with Central Coast because they are, the most, I think, the most entertaining team in the league at the moment. Yeah. Even if they didn't get the result, they went down 3-2. It was late heartbreak. Jed drew the hero with basically the last kick of the game to sweep aside a, a, a 10-man Mariners outfit. I mean, the big lesson for me, Oscar, mm. one of the, the the philosophies I like to have in life is that the best result is always the funniest one. Mm. And as much as I really like the Mariners, and if they were unlucky to lose this game, there is a small bit of me that has to admit that MacArthur Roper doping them with the last kick of the game was a bit funny. It was a bit funny. It was wrong, though. It, 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 wasn't, it didn't follow the script at all. The, the drama had been built 
We were ready. It made sense. It was like it, there was so much to like. And then MacArthur played the ultimate party pooper role, just run down the other end, having struggled to match the Central Coast despite having a player advantage for the vast majority of the contest and having been pegged back from 2-0 up to 2-2. The Mariners were building, they were coming. It was inevitable that if any team was going to find the winner in this game, it was going to be the Central Coast Mariners who would yet again secure an even well, an even more remarkable come-from-behind win than they had the last time they played in Gosford. Mm. And, and, and MacArthur... As they as they seem to embrace the role of of being are, are the 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 villains the, the pantomime villain yeah the 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 yes the pantomime villain that's as, that's as good of a description as I can come up mm. as as you can come up with yes well I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry I'm sure you could come up with a better one if you had. I'm also sure that you know your dad could beat my dad in a fight. <laughs> Um, you know, that, you know, you probably had trials with West Ham under 13s for a kid, you know, that you were friends with Cristiano Ronaldo, but yeah. I wouldn't know him because he went to a different school. All of those kind of things could and maybe are in fact true, but, you know, we'll, we'll never actually get to test any of them. No. But uh, for all of MacArthur's, um, you know, zeal, zest with 10 men, they did have a pretty shocking start. 10 men, as you put it to me before, was almost a a boon for them. It made them much better as a footballing outfit. They had a bit of a, a slow start to this game. They were down 2-0. Uh, well, they were down 1-0 before they, mm. they went down to 10. What do you put that sort of slow start down to? It's real. I don't, it's really puzzling, isn't it? For me, it, it reminded me of the, of the Perth glory game a few weeks ago that we saw in Gosford where, where the Mariners were just lethargic. They were slow. It wasn't mm. quite flowing in a way. That... And it's so off character as it well. Is. It is. And I, I don't really know what to put it down to. It's just occasionally they'll come out and they'll play. Like, like it happened in round one when they played, or, well, in their first game, I should say, when they played in, in New Zealand against Wellington. But I, you know, one can put that down readily to it being their first game of the season. Mm. Of course, they're, the first half an hour they're playing their way into it. And then but it's a bit of a trend that it. they're slow starters, isn't it? It is. Well, but then also the Western United game, they were all over West. United and they went behind. They just love the drama. They love the come from behind story. They they're putting everything in the Garanqual basket. They're just like the dangling of, carrot. Yeah, of, of you know, how do we get the best out of Garanqual? We bring them on when we we're in need of a hero and desperately behind. Well, it it look it did help them in terms of making them into a more competitive yeah. outfit, or at least that's what it the way it seemed to be. But the red card for Brian Kaltak. Uh, a, a straight red for the the Mariners defender for denial of a clear goal scoring opportunity. We've had a an interesting couple of weeks where it comes to straight reds and mm. and the the dog so ruling. Um, how did you see this one? I have in my own mind developed a consistent position when it comes to these decisions, which is that the framing of the law of the game as a denial of a goal scoring opportunity we can in, interpret the word clear in that, but ir, re, regardless of whether or not we do, that rule inherently has scope for interpretation. It inherently gives room for, arbitra- for arbitrary decision-making, for discretion by the refereeing team. And insofar as that's the case, that means that in my mind, it is perfectly consistent with the rule for the refereeing body or team to decide that we are going to push a particular policy motivation or some kind of footballing agenda within our interpretation of that decision. And if, and what it appears to me 
is that that particular agenda in this instance is we don't like players dragging players down when they're the last line just because they're far out enough away from goal. We we don't yeah. we don't almost want... like it's not quite a tactical foul, but it's it's in but that it's kind that of mold. vicinity. Yeah, yeah, that right that that kind of foul that does nothing that 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 takes away from the drama in the theater of the game. Well, there's not really an intent to actually like win the ball. No, is there? It's that, it's, that's it's right. a it's a blatant just stoppage of play. Like, and so to, I think that within the realms of the framing of the rule, which is none of the referees' fault, I think that they're perfectly entitled to be strict in that interpretation as a means of trying to discourage a certain kind of behaviour. And I think that they have been consistent with that this season. I think that we critique inconsistency and arguably it is inconsistent with what we've seen in the past. But this season, they have consistently said that we will judge this harshly. Mm. If you are anywhere close to a last-line defender or if your challenge is a cynical professional foul where the player was likely running in, was likely going to have any kind of opportunity on goal, Mm. we will be extremely harsh in our adjudication of that. Well, you know what? I think you've actually talked me around with respect to the decision that was made on Saturday. I I was maybe thinking that it was a bit harsh, but now I'm I'm on board. I I guess the question is, does that sort of uh, policy making and policy implementation, does it actually work to re-educate players on, on, on how to approach these situations. Can you actually teach these old dogs new tricks in terms of, you know, will these red card incidents actually drill home that message? Will it, it encourage them to go against their instincts to foul a player in that situation? I think absolutely it will. I think we've, we've consistently seen it in, in all sports, but including football, we've seen changed interpretations they may they may take time, but they do change player behaviour. I think the one that springs to mind for me is the way defenders defend in the box with their arms and, and all the goings-on about handball and everything. I think we've seen defenders less inclined to to take any chance of their arm being positioned in a way that could be interpreted as as warranting a penalty. I think that's been a change that players have made, albeit that's complicated by the inconsistencies that, that exist within that. But but, but yes, I, I think there is certainly precedent for that to change behaviour. And I think that if they continue to do this in the A-League men's competition, then we will see that kind of foul mm. happening less. Well, despite, you know, what what the the red card did to the Mariners from numeric terms, mm. they did respond well. I think their movement and their ability to make the kind of runs that miss pull people out of shape in a defensive structure continues to be the sort of like silver bullet, I guess, behind why they're so much better at doing certain things than other sides are. Like that they've just got this they've just got this dynamism. Like where they're just willing to do things that I think other teams aren't. Like the way their strikers pull wide and then someone comes in to fill that space. The way the fullbacks bomb on, they tuck in when they're near the penalty box to make themselves a, a threat. Like they're just willing to try a few ideas that I think other people might be have a bit more sort of lenient approach. And I think it did really help them in this game in the same way it sometimes helps them to break down a team who was sitting deep with 10. And can I say it's 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 
probably the thing above all else in my mind that makes this team so exciting is that they can adapt. They adapt to what their opponents are doing. They, they change how they play based on what they think will work best against a given opponent. In my mind, what I saw is the way they tried to approach this game against MacArthur was very different to how they approached the game against Western Sydney last week. And the fact that they can switch between these modes of play, I think, you know, can only benefit them. And we saw them adjust. I think that the struggle... Well, yeah, I mean, how I mean, how rare is it that we get a horses for courses team in the A League? It's rare. In the A League men's, it's it's it's, it's, it's one or two teams a season yeah. are, are consistently able and willing to do that. Uh, and I think you know, in, in this instance, I think that playing out from the back, I think that for whatever reason, again, I'm not sure what it is. They were slow and sluggish, and it and it wasn't working. Mm. And so I think that what the red card did was it made them play more direct, which was closer to what I think we saw against Western Sydney where there were long balls and diagonal balls and they've proven that they can play like that and, as you said, use the pace, get in behind and, and the, the players that they have mm. and, and the fact that they could adapt like that and get to a position where they outplayed a team with an extra player on the park I think is a full credit to Nick Montgomery and has proven once again that this Central Coast side is perhaps the most exciting team to watch in the competition this yeah. season. I mean, unless you're the hegemonic force of a competition, like unless you're yeah. the Manchester City of the A-League, well, Melbourne City, yeah, <laughs> you should, you, like, your tactical approach shouldn't, I don't think, be be set in stone. You should be able mm-hmm. to make like tweaks week to week. Because, right. um, yeah, unless you're the best, you clearly whatever you're doing isn't, isn't necessarily working out, Even I guess. Even if you are the best, if you want to be better. Well, stay, yeah, and, and also just to, stay relevant. Yes, yeah, that's right. It's the whole reason Sydney FC's, you know, Graham Arnold-inspired approach doesn't necessarily work as much anymore as it used to. Um, people have, have, have adjusted. How much do you take out of this game? I mean, like, we could touch on the qual stuff, but, we, you know, we'd probably be here for a very long time, and there's also nothing new. Like, yeah. he came on, he changed the game, that's just what he does. Like, that is his thing now. It doesn't matter that he doesn't start for me. I just kind know. Of, it's wearing off the shine, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, it's so, getting yeah. so boring. <laughs> you know, it, it uh, and again, week. same with Jason Cummings. He was again quite good, I thought, in the second half. He made things happen. And wrongly had that. And, and wrongly had a, that. Sorry, that annoyed me so much was, yes. because obviously, if he goes and takes the penalty afterwards, he's going to be thinking about what just happened. It adds pressure knowing what's preceded the penalty itself um, to step up and take it. But also, we've seen plenty of situations where there's been a penalty about to be awarded and a team has scored and they've just let it stand. Why? I don't understand why it didn't happen in that situation. Because no. Danny Vukovic, sorry, not Danny Vukovic, um, Nick Schumann was never getting to the shot that, that Cummings took. Even if the MacArthur defence hesitated for a moment... I mean, who cares? Like, that, that goal should have just been allowed to stand. I thought that was really, really... No disagreement from me. Then. Yeah, I thought that was really... Uh, uh, as much as I can agree with the, the red card decision, I thought the disallowed goal was just dumb. That was wrong. Um, and then, again, MacArthur maybe... Sorry, Mariners maybe could have not given Cummings the subsequent penalty, but there's no doubt that what happened would have played into his mind. I thought that was silly. But again, nothing hugely new from him. He plays well... Uh, he scores, he has a goal disallowed. You know, it's pretty stock standard, yeah. pretty stock standard stuff for him. Um, <laughs> do you do you take anything out of this if you're MacArthur other than it just being like a sort of character building win, something you can sort of point to and be like, oh, wasn't it? But even then, so much of this game felt like MacArthur were the ones putting in a back to, backs to the wall performance. And yet 
they had an extra man the whole time and they nicked the game right at the end. Like, I don't know how much you can really extract other than good morale boost with a late win. And Jed Drew being quite good. Well, I think on that point, I think it's good from a MacArthur perspective to see them succeed with Daniel Arzani not playing the majority of the game. They've they've demonstrated that they're not solely reliant on what Arzani can do as, as, as good as Daniel Arzani is and has been early on in this season. I think as, as you then alluded to, Jed Drew was good. That was exciting. That was the best we've seen him play and, and the most we've seen him play really uh, for, for that kind of extended period. Uh, I don't think this is new, but I think it's reinforced the fact that MacArthur are a better team with Lockie Rose up top as the striker. I just think that mm. the way that they play and his running allows the space for them to do what they do, which is send it long to their talented attacking players. And, and that just has to be who they go with going forward. As a as a as an mo, if you will, at least, it, it, as we say, you should be able to adapt. But as their primary form of playing, I think that 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 Lockie Rose makes them a better team. Mm. Well, sticking with the my philosophy that the best result is always the funniest one, I do think that was a a, a belief system that rang true as Western Sydney, sorry, Western United, sort of kick started, I guess. Their season with a, a, a dramatic come-from-behind 3-2 win over Wellington, Alessandro Diamanti scoring a last-minute free kick. I mean, a, a fantastic, a fantastic free kick, um, you know, helping them to, to take all three points, something that would have given them a lot of belief. But, Oscar, this game could have been done at halftime. It could have been dead and buried. We could have been... Death riding Western United once again, if not for Wellington's profligacy. I mean, I thought Wellington were really good in the opening 45 and Western United were exactly as they had been to start the opening few rounds, which is pretty abject. Well, except I thought Western United were worse than they've been in the opening (laughs) rounds. I thought thought Western United have, to to an extent, been unfortunate early in the season in that all that's different from last season is that you know they've like they they've started well and created chances, not taken them. Opposition goes down the other end, scores from a set piece or something, mm. and and then once they're behind, it becomes significantly harder for them. I think about the MacArthur game. I think about the Adelaide United game. So I feel like in to an extent, the problems aren't as severe as they've seemed. But this game, I thought Western <laughs> United were nowhere near. They 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 were. They were not at all at the races for the first half, as you say, and I thought it was just about Wellington's best performance. It was the best we've seen. Oh, I so- just thought they were like- they were so outthought in that opening half. And the, I thought Cryer played the best game he's played. I yeah. thought he looked really exciting and really dangerous. I've uh, Sam Sutton has suddenly become one of the most dynamic fullbacks mm. in the in the competition, seemingly from nowhere. Uh, I, I thought Ben Old, who who I wasn't a huge fan of last season, but I think he's looked a lot lot better this season. And I was and I was admiring Wellington. I was going, oh, and they can bring off the bench. You know, Ben Wayne and Jan Sass hasn't even been brought on. David Ball has been brought on. I was going, this Wellington team can do things, I thought. And I still think that in a lot of ways, Ufuk uh, Tale's team is going to be kind of the barometer of the competition. They play a consistent, reliable way that mm. isn't, you know... But it's a di- it's quite often a difficult way for for teams to play against, though. For dep- sure, depending on who's and you if know, you're named. off your game, they will more often than not make you pay, and they will hurt you. And we saw that against against Western United. And and although you know they clearly didn't do enough to win the game in and of itself in the first half, they were in a comfortable position, which they deserved to be. But 
I mean, the quality of players like Alessandro Diamanti and Alexander Prejevic was on full display. With the yeah, comeback. well, look, given football cliches has, has been name-checked quite a few t- yeah. times tonight, I'm going to... Going to go back to the well with a with a football cliche of my own, and and this became very much a, a game of of two arms, did. didn't it? It yeah. really did because the second forty five Western United did make some tweaks, they made some changes. Um, you know, Nick Milanovic came on, uh, which which was important, but more to the point, more to the point. Uh, later into the game, because because I thought that the the start of the second forty five was kind of you know, sort of a relatively even. It was relatively even. Yeah. I think Wellington get the second goal at the start of the second half. Is that is fifteen that minutes right? in? I think. Yeah. yeah. So, so that minutes. that part I thought was relatively evenly contested. But the minute Previch came on and Western United made the, made those changes, it really was like it was a different game. Yeah. But then I feel like. That was not just a result of Western United being improved by having Prijevic, but I also thought it was Wellington completely fell apart. And their defence especially, and I I don't think it's been that solid throughout this season, but it particularly let them down um, in this game. I'm not going to sit here for a second and argue that it's easy to defend Alexander Prijevic, but the way he peeled off to the back post and managed that header with relative ease, I mean... Uh, Western get a route back into the contest with the the corner that they yeah. score from, where there's a, a a flick on at the front post. Like it looks nice, but it wasn't a particularly like it wasn't a particularly complicated set piece move. I feel like Wellington could have seen that coming, or could have put systems in place to prevent that sort of an approach from being effective. Like it's. I mean, a flick on at the front post. It's yeah. not an elegant system. It's like, it's, it was, I mean, it's something we do on FIFA. <laughs> like, it does happen. It used to be a thing. Um, but those two moments, I just thought the the defensive elements for the Phoenix just disappeared. And, you know, it's not necessarily sustainable long-term, but Diamante will pull something out of the bag and and sort of steal a result, but an import, a very important one for, for Western. But I thought that was much more to do with... Wellington's defensive responsibilities being abandoned than it was Western United becoming much, much better. I think it has been the major drawback that we've seen a couple of times with Wellington this season is that they fade a bit in and out of games. Their style of play is is reliable when it's working. It looks like it's something that they should be able to sustain consistently week in, week out for a full 90 minutes, but they kind of drift in and out a bit more and they've been made to... Well, that's worked for them in some occasions. I think about the Melbourne City game when they were well beaten early on in the game and worked their way back in, but then it's worked against them in this instance where they started the game ideally and then gradually drifted out. But yeah, as you say, it's it's somewhat unfortunate for Wellington in the sense that whilst I think the game looked like it was starting to turn before Western United got even their first goal, it is, of course, as you as you pointed out, worth acknowledging that Western United's first goal did come from a set piece. So that that there is a degree of misfortune in that. And from there, it was only it was only once Western United got that goal that we saw Prijevic and Diamanti come on and really snowball that momentum. Mm. But it's it's the luxury that you have when you have those kinds of players. It's the per- like it's 
it wasn't the perfect performance by any stretch. It, it, it wasn't a sustainable performance for getting wins by any stretch of the imagination, but it couldn't have come at a more important time. And arguably evens out. Like, like when, I, when I say I think the West United have been a bit unfortunate with, mm. with their results Well, so even that, like that Adelaide game, yeah. they actually created more than enough yeah. to, to, to win the game outright and not right. get sort of you know, paddled and concede for in the way that they did. But the fact that it happened right before they've got this kind of couple of weeks to, to reflect and they're not going to then don't have any socceroos, so the whole squad is going to be there, going to be training together. They'll probably get some practice matches in. It might be a time to hopefully think about you know what can we improve, what can we work on. But I think that it makes it a lot easier to to put those kind of hard yards in when you've gotten the result, not just the the three points, but the way that they got it too. I think that will have really given them a boost. How how much? It returns them to the Western United of last season. Though I think that that's a question that kind of remains to be seen, doesn't it? And I think it is also worth remembering that the nature of the way in which Western United play means that there have always under John Aloisi been ups and downs. Like we can't we forget about the down period leading into the finals last season. Yeah, Western United that's kind of been brushed over, and we go look at all the one 0 wins that they. I had. mean, they were like they were, they went from bolted on premiers to limping through to the top three. Yeah. in the space of no time at all. Exactly. Yeah, and 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 so I, I feel like these kinds of runs are and almost inevitable. Y- yeah, there there will be a kind of um, a high ceiling, low floor kind of team. I guess mm-hmm. it's it's also a bit dependent on. Who matches matches up against them as well? Yeah, like I feel like they're one of the well, one of the teams in the league. Quite many, a great many teams do this, but like better the better at exploiting weakness than they are displaying strength. Yeah, if that kind of makes sense. And, and yeah, no, I, I think that does. I think that's mm. right. Well, look, we've only got a, a couple of games uh, left to go through on, on the Oz Football Hour here for. GIS, the Global Institute of Sport, if you want to kickstart your career with a postgraduate qualification in sport, such as the Masters of uh, Football Coaching and Analysis, be sure to head to gis.sport forward slash FNR. That's the place to head to find out more. But let's move on to another team who probably prefer to uh, exploit weaknesses rather than show their, their dominance and their strength, and that's Melbourne Victory who, as part of the original derby, went down 3-0 to Adelaide United, another game that was very well attended, had a good atmosphere, another derby. But Adelaide really, really, uh, with a statement sort of win, not necessarily a statement performance, but uh, a big result in front of a home crowd. And, yeah, and and I guess first and foremost, as you acknowledge, to acknowledge that once again having a wonderful atmosphere and a wonderful crowd can make all sorts of footballing problems less salient if not invisible mm. and, and and you know I think as a result this was the kind of game that was much more enjoyable on account of the atmosphere and the environment and the crowd provided by both the home and the away supporters so I think I think that was a really wonderful occasion and yeah I I, I think similar to Western United there is a you know the the fundamental weakness in this in this Melbourne victory side and if they are having to chase games. They are not very effective at it. If they concede first, it becomes a lot harder. And that the likelihood of conceding first has grown on account of not having as solid a defence as they did last season. They were much more readily able to rely on the fact that they would 
a uh, bit difficult to break down last time around, and, and this time we're seeing a reliance on someone like Lee Broxham, who is serviceable as he is. You, you, we, we, we can see the limitations, especially when coming up against a towering striker like Hiroshi Ibasuki. Mm. And, and from there, uh, I think Adelaide United just looked more complete as a result. And, and from there, once they're ahead, it becomes a lot easier for them to, to see out the remainder mm. of the game. I mean, I just find that quite... Look, we, we shouldn't be spending our whole time talking about victory because, you know, Adelaide are the team who won and on the scoreline won in a, in a commanding way. But I just feel frustrated by how... And I'm not saying this is someone who supports victory or, or really supports a team actively in the, the league, other than just you know being a fan of the league itself. But the fact that victory could have a defensive injury that threatened to unbundle their season is not something that was unforeseeable. Like if you just took a, a cursory glance over the victory list ahead of the year, and we know how good of a defender. Matthew Spiranovic is and can be when he's on the park. But, I mean, the idea that he could play out a full 26-game season and feature 90 minutes in every match, you know, was it just doesn't happen. Yeah, this is Matthew Spiranovic we're talking about. It's just not a thing that's going to occur. And it was very clear that after him, the, the talent on offer in terms of a Broxham whose career is coming towards its end... Uh, his his physical profile means that he's not really best suited, I think, especially now, to being anything other than a defensive midfielder and a pass-first defensive midfielder at that. And George Timotheu, who, while is is young and still has the chance to improve elements of his game, wasn't overly convincing in an Adelaide United shirt, Um I just feel like it was pretty obvious from the get-go that this defence could turn from a strength to a weakness very quickly if Matthew Spiranovic got injured, and it's not a shock to see that he got injured so swiftly. And without the cover that Brendan Hamill provides anymore. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I felt like the, the, the writing was was on the wall ahead of the season, but, you know, the, for whatever reason, victory and... The, the the group that were responsible for building this list just refused to to see it. Well, as you say, and George Timothy was brought in to fill one of those important gaps. And he which, can't he doesn't start ahead of Lee Broxham. And yeah, and clearly Tony Popovich hasn't been satisfied that yeah, as as you say, Lee Broxham starting ahead of George Timothy. So that clearly hasn't or isn't up to this point working out. Yeah, and, and in the context of a like a game where their opponent was a striker who's in great form and a striker who's like two metres tall. It's just clearly not the best opponent for Lee Broxham to be playing against. And, and it's You'll look, have it's, a set-piece specialist as well delivering that. Yeah, and I, and I don't want to make this all about Broxham. The defensive organisation across the, f- the back four was, was poor, particularly the... I mean, obviously Broxham is the one who makes the clumsy foul on Blackwood that leads to the penalty. But the opening goal, the Ibasuki header, somehow Ibasuki has sagged off to be alongside Kedete. He moves across to get closer to the ball that's being delivered and it just doesn't didn't seem like Kedete was communicating with Roderick Miranda because he just sort of slips in between the two of them and isn't really passed on. He doesn't become Miranda's responsibility and Kadete's kind of lost control of him and so he's sort of in the perfect spot to 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 make contact, you know? 
A wonderful header, though, from... Oh, yeah, no, no. Take nothing away from the quality of the header, but the... The ease, or seemingly yeah. ease, with which he was able to to get access to it to a look like that, That's I right. think for a team who, I mean, fundamentally, Tony Popovich teams, and this is not a new thing, have been a, they're, they're defense first teams, right? They're defense first teams, and their strength is in the counter attack, and it's delivered in plenty of success. But what good is a defense first team if the defense is not very good? So, like, I, I get that they've really tried to bring some more attacking talent into this side. They've gone after Nani. He still hasn't quite hit his straps. Maybe the three-week break, he'll build up some more fitness. He'll be a different player. Like, I get that. I completely understand why you've gone after those kind of talents. You want to bring the excitement back, all that sort of stuff. But equally, if you're a defense-first team, making sure your defense is solid and can perform consistently and the players are available consistently, the the players that you want to start has to surely be the forefront, and I just feel like that hasn't been given enough emphasis. But on the subject of not giving enough emphasis, let's talk more about Adelaide United. Although just before we do... Yeah, no, no, sure, sure, sure. I do just want to say, though, I suppose the optimistic side from from a victory perspective is that it doesn't... It's not a, a complicated fix. The rest of the team we saw against Newcastle, it works if the defence is right. If, if that bit can hold up, everything else is still there. It's just a matter of getting that first piece in the puzzle and then everything else flows. Yeah, of course. And look, there's every chance that in January they go and sign someone either as a replacement for Spiranovic or just someone over the top because obviously Bruno Fornaroli is going to become a permanent player in January and no longer be an injury cover. So there'll be a slot available depending on the length of Spiranovic's injury. So they'll probably sign someone and by that point it'll be fine. But my, my gripe is less about what's actually sort of happening, more that... It was on the cards that this could yeah. happen and the provisions that they've made for it happening just clearly weren't adequate and, and I think they, they could have been. But anyway, enough victory. Uh, Adelaide United continuing their very solid start to the season for the most part. Uh, three goals, some great performances from their attackers. Uh, Ethan Aligic was a player who got quite a lot of plaudits uh, in this game. Well, what did what did you make of his performance? Well, I mean, it was it was an interesting change to the midfield dynamic as a whole, bringing one day back in to start alongside Isaiu. So it was it, it was all change. I think you know Adelaide United have an established reputation of giving young players opportunities. I think it's it's I, I would love. There are to... a few people who might disagree with you on that one in in some respects. Giving opportunities of sorts. Uh, and I think that's... Well, I, I said they have a reputation, is what I said. Uh, and I think I would like to see Alagic play alongside Luis Dorigo because I think Luis Dorigo is really exciting and really excellent. And so I think it's disappointing when the opportunity for one player comes at the expense of another young player. But but nonetheless, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's always exciting to see new blood, I think, particularly in this Adelaide United team. Although with that being said, it's not as if the central midfield is where the majority of mm. chances or creativity is created. I, I, I did have a question for you, though, about, about Adelaide United, which is the role of, of Ben Halloran. We've seen him move around a little bit uh, uh, across the front line over the last few weeks. He reverted to a more regular wide position for most of the game against victory. Where, where do you think he's best utilised? I'm not sure if I've I've formulated an opinion on where he's best yet, and part of the reason I say that is because I just don't I don't think the Halloran as an attacking midfielder experiment really got all that like 
I don't think it got enough time to see if it actually had legs or if it could actually really function. Yeah. Like particularly that Sydney game where he started there and then the minute Adelaide went down to 10, you know, it was immediately discarded. Yeah. Um, I mean, I really like him there. I do think he has the 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 positional intelligence and just sort of like the sort of the tactical awareness to to get the best out of that position. And I think it also allows you... I mean, it allows you to add another creator into the into the lineup, basically. And I think that sort of a presence is something that Adelaide sorely miss when they, you know, play with a three of mostly like sixes and eights. Yeah. They don't really have a recognisable ten. Mm. So I think even if it's not his best position, which we can debate, I think you still gain more than you lose making him the ten and then being able to, to have a you know, an Iren Kunda or someone yeah. else playing across the across the front three. I think Adelaide need look, I I know they've they've won three in a row, they're undefeated in four, they've won both of their games scoring, you know, three goals and four goals. But I do think in both of those games, have they been clearly far and away the best side on the day? I mean not necessarily. Like n- not necessarily. And what you want is is uh, an approach that will sustain itself over the course of the season and I do feel like a bit of a broken record talking about Adelaide and like is what they do sustainable to to this point it it largely has been but at some point you know that that will run dry and you've got to be thinking about what more you can do if and when that happens and having more attackers embracing more potential risk um in on and off the ball situations by having another creatively minded player, especially through the centre, I just think is something that Adelaide have got to embrace. So I'd like to see him there more, but I think against victory, it's fine. Like you're trying against victory, you're trying to prey on the things they're not so good at doing, which is you know playing between the lines. That's why sixes like I don't like the two sixes composition, but it kind of works in this game. Because they're just there to disrupt yeah. and contain and compress the space. Yeah. So that's kind of why they work in this game. But but when they're playing against a team who they will should have more of the ball against, then you've got to throw another attacker in there. You've got to have something else. And so I think it can be, again, a situation where Adelaide can be a bit horses for courses about it. I, that's a very long-winded way of answering your question and yeah. also not directly answering it. But, but a non-sequitur, could you say? No, no. <laughs> but... I think against teams who they they should you know they they'll be more dominant against Halloran as a ten makes sense, but in a game like this, I think to have him have him wide is fine, and I think he did a reasonable job. The only thing I'd, I'd add to that though is I wonder the way in which Adelaide play whether that means that it becomes harder for Ben Halloran to have an influence in a central position, seeing as so much of their creativity stems from the wide positions. Mm. I wonder if you if you lose some of that. And, and if you replaced him with someone who was similarly creative, like a Nestoria Ankunda, that would be a different story. But we haven't seen that when Halloran shifted centrally. So I, 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 I'm not claiming to have a, a, a fortified opinion on it either. I just that that's interested me mm. to see whether we see more of that. Look, I, I didn't want to th- like didn't want to throw too much mud on Adelaide in no. the, in this segment. I did just want to say something unrelated to the game itself. I don't know what you thought of this, Oscar. Um, I get that. Nestri Irankunda has got certain responsibilities as a young Adelaide player that he's got to fulfil, and I am not totally privy to how the news of his potential ill discipline and being late to training and that sort of stuff 
um, made it to the media. And if you're going to set a charter of what young players need to do and you're going to punish players for not observing that, completely on board with that. But I thought to potentially put a player, a young player uh, from a minority background and say to the media, well, he's not in the team because of your discipline, didn't love it. Didn't love it. I, I'm not. You don't have to. No, I, I. I wasn't a huge fan of the way that was handled. I. I would be inclined to agree yeah. as well. Uh, again, I, while not being privy to exactly how that that, that became, it makes me, it difficult to to make a media media yeah. knowledge. But I would be keeping that away from from yeah. the media if if I was if I was Adelaide. It's important to to protect players and particularly players in a vulnerable position yeah. like your and sixteen year old. That's players. right. Like. Contributes to his vulnerability. Yes. Anyway, I just wasn't a huge fan of the the way that the way that looked from 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 the outside. Um, but look, let, let's move on. Uh, this was the Credit final. To Adelaide, though, they, they've they've got their their machine going again, and, and that hundred percent difficult to beat. One hundred percent. Final game that we're going to talk about for for the show, and probably I feel like this was the most underrated game of the weekend. It didn't have the atmosphere. But by God, did the football that was on the park for me really deliver? I'm talking about Newcastle Jets up against Melbourne City. Uh, City keep their undefeated streak, their undefeated start to the season alive with a 2-1 win. But I thought this game was actually quite a tight one, actually quite an engaging one. Newcastle really uh, pressed Oscar. We we saw a lot of that. It was up for it was up for grabs, really. I mean. The the goalkeeping accident, the the failed Superman dive from Michael Weir, kind of characterised uh, a lot of what happened and went on to happen. But I feel like if you Newcastle, you come away thinking, "Gee, we're a bit unlucky not to get a point here." And I wonder if the enjoyment that that you're that you've alluded to or directly mentioned that you that, that comes from this game was was largely a product of. The fact that this was a different game to what we usually see in the A League men's this this was a very different kind of game than what any of the other games on the weekend certainly and and to what we're we're used to seeing and I think it stems from as you said the fact that Newcastle pressed City I think that we had two pressing teams meaning that there was this mm. constant chaos and lack of rhythm or fluidity and in the context of this competition that's not necessarily always. A bad thing, mm. and and that made it refreshing. It was a refreshing kind of game. I I agree that Newcastle were very unlucky to come away with nothing from this game. Uh, obviously, they went in half time at one one, and then had a series of really excellent chances that on another day may well have found their way into the back of the net in what has been a bit too often the story for the Jets, but. Uh, you know, and, and then Melbourne City go down the other end and they've got the quality that comes with a player like Marco Tilio to have that opportunity to create and to send oh, he, the ball he in. He was, again, excellent in his game. And Cl- so was Renault Piscopo. He was. I, I kind of felt like... I felt like the weight off the shoulders, the finality of not being selected for the soccer squad, disappointing though it undoubtedly yeah. would have been for Tilio. I think it was clear that he was playing with a bit more freedom i agree i i really it's it's hard it's always hard with these things because i don't know how much that's us projecting that onto yeah, yeah. onto the player which is which which is very possible but but i i agree that marco to there at least in my eyes looked liberated he looked like he was just there to play football mm. now i mean maybe part of that was knowing that he was playing against the newcastle jets defense which has <laughs> been shaky to say the least um but uh, again like the jets were 
good and and the pressing really particularly in the fullback areas. I actually think this was was probably I, I've heaved a lot of praise on Jordan Boss and, and Callum Talbot so far to start this season. I actually think collectively this is one of their worst games. It's particularly Boss. Like Trent Bahaja gave him a, a few troubles being like yeah. in his face so aggressively and so routinely. And I think that's what that's the product of and, and I, I agree with your singling out of the fullbacks. We were doubling out of the fullbacks. <laughs> Uh, but but I think <laughs> I think I think uh, across I think across the team we saw the Melbourne City defense look less secure than it usually does, and I think that just stemmed from the fact that they're so that, that it's rare that Melbourne City are put under a comparable amount of pressure to what they put on other teams. So mm. that's that's how Melbourne City succeed. That's what makes Melbourne City. Well, good. It's, it's the and exact reason that Adelaide is the kind of team against whom mm. historically City struggle. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's right. And, and and I think you know, and we talk about teams adapting and learning, kind of thing. And, and what's enabled Melbourne City to be so effective for so long or part of what's enabled Melbourne City to be so effective for so long is that teams aren't willing to put the onus back on Melbourne City in in the way that makes them less comfortable mm. because that's less what they're designed to do. But, it, but it, like, again, the problem for the Jets is that in this game, and I do think they were, were good value for a point, uh, definitely, I mean... Renault Piscobo could have scored three of the best goals yeah. so far this season in the single game and came close on a number of occasions. But the very things that made Newcastle a handful in this game and worked really well for them also to an extent were their sort of undoing. Like, yes, there's a big goalkeeper error mm. that leads to the opening goal and allowing Richard Van de Ven to tap into an empty net but it comes as a result of City exploiting the high line that the Jets were operating with. And even if Weir doesn't, even if he leaves his goal guarded or he's coming to close Van de Ven rather than close down the ball, like he still would have had a one-on-one situation. And then the second goal, not exactly the same, but it is still like a long pass you know, to a wide wide attacker who's you know pinned against the touchline pretty much, yeah. wins his one-on-one battle and then, you know, is able to play in a perfect cross to, yeah. to Jamie McLaren where that, that sort of high line that they're playing, yeah. again, it's, it's limiting what City are doing, but then if they can find that out ball, then the Jets are in a, a world of pain. But in this instance, I think that the most competitive the Jets were going to be was by playing this brand of Yeah, football. that's true. And, uh, and like, yeah. seriously, uh, there's every chance that we are on any given, uh, any other day, makes that header, and we're not actually talking about, well, we got the header, but how good of a chance would it have been if 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 he didn't, you yeah. know, we would never be working it back right. in the same way we are with the chance now. We would never be working it back in the sort of opposite direction if he did make the make the take. So I guess kind of that there's an argument to suggest that the system actually was doing what it was supposed to be doing if Weir was making a clearance. I think yeah, no, I think that's right. I think I think it was. I think that this was the Jets giving themselves the best possible opportunity mm. to win this game and the fine margins of football if things go slightly different way. Mm. Uh, if Perhaps uh, Jets have the, the the Jets 
the Jets players have the confidence in the ability to score goals that the Melbourne City players have. I think that that we're entering into the realm of intangibles and things that we can't really know, uh, or perhaps it's just a pure uh, gap in quality. But either way, Melbourne City just just had that little edge. I, I think you did also, as you were speaking, remind me of the fact that Richard van der Ven, I think it's been exciting to see him get more of a run over the last couple of weeks. And I think he actually suits the Melbourne City system really quite well. I think that that, that was a very intelligent piece of recruiting to, yeah. put, to bring in a player who, who I think performs exactly the role that... that one would need at that in in that team. Yeah, and look, like I, I'm not going to claim to have watched a single like minute of him playing in the era de Vici, but like uh, beyond some sort of highlight clips. But something that was apparent of the the highlight clips that I watched was his ability to be a link man between the attacking line and the midfield line, be a sort of I don't want to use the term second ball merchant, but someone who can be there ready and waiting for a spillage on the edge of the box, a sort of a third man kind of operator, a a little bit similar to the kind of role you might see of a, of a Connor Metcalf while being maybe um, less physically imposing perhaps, but that sort of link between the two worlds, I think we've seen him show a pretty good ability to do that. And, and I'm, I think that's absolutely right, but I think just also his intensity that he brings, his running, his pressing. I don't know how much of that's a visual thing. I would be intimidated if I were pressed by Richard. If I saw that man running towards me, I would be rather scared. I mean, I feel like I'd be quite frightened of any man <laughs> running at full speed towards me. Or just anything at full pelt, just in my direction. Relative to the uh, base level of fear that one would have as having a fully grown athlete run straight towards them, I think that Richard van der Ven would be on the scarier side of the okay. scale. He's not quite Roy Keane, but he's no. you know, he's 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 along he's along the way. Well he's not really what you expect from a from a a player from the Netherlands and, and, and the kinds of players that we've seen that come out of that country quite often mm. and, and and what the the way that, that uh I, I guess the the Dutch style of play we, we associate it with. It, it's quite unexpected in that sense. But as, as I say, I think it's, it, it was intelligent mm. recruiting. He worked really well in the system. Yeah. Well, the Jets, they don't play uh, again until the 11th of December uh, against the Central Coast Mariners. Obviously, the game that was... was going to be a game. ...was rained out. But that that might be the game to end all games. Might be the greatest footballing spectacle the A-League has ever seen. We're, we're going to build it up too much and it's going to disappoint it. But yeah. nonetheless... But then I, the F, like, I think that the F3 derby, mm. in terms of... Okay, so I think we've all agreed and probably accepted the fact that the Sydney Derby is probably the best derby in the country. Probably, yeah. It's, uh, the atmosphere is great. Probably. The actual uh, necessity of the rivalry between the two clubs or the sort of natural building of the East-West Sydney dynamic is yeah. there as opposed to just like two Melbourne teams. Authenticity. Uh, of yeah, the yeah. That's sorry. That's the word I'm what I'm looking for. Uh, City v Victory is good, and the noise is great. Um, maybe that's the one that recently has had the most significance because those teams have been performing strongly. Well, not Victory so much, but maybe for the last most season. for the most part, yeah. for the last sort of five six years, like yeah. Western Sydney have been in the toilet for quite some time now. Um, but in terms of a pure footballing spectacle. The Newcastle Jets v Central Coast Mariners, the F3 derby may lack the the noise uh, and the scale 
of its competitive derbies. I'm bit, I'm also ignoring the original derby, but let's just limit limit yep. ourselves to the three. You're right. It may lack the scale. What about the distance? No, please, go <laughs> please, please. <laughs> Hashtag not a derby. Uh, it may lack it may lack the the grandiose proportions of a Sydney derby. I think the passion in terms of the dislike between the two is still there. Yep. But by God, if it isn't the best footballing spectacle of all of the derbies, it is easily the best. As a, foot, a pure footballing oh, yeah. product, it's the most entertaining derby. And I, I feel like some of that's the product of of the lack of fan or the, the lack of showpiece atmosphere that exists. There's this every time I watch a home game in Newcastle or or in the Central Coast, I, I you know there's there's a a good vibe, there's a mm. relaxed vibe, and I think that contributes to what we see on the pitch. I think that they're the the most. Oh, I always want to say carefree teams. They're the most uh, daring, the most we're all, almost the teams with the least to lose. And I think we see that in the way that they play. And I think we see that in the the atmosphere and the vibe that they generate. As much as that could lead to, if if having not a lot to lose can lead to success, which means that you suddenly do have something to lose, that obviously counteracts that. As we saw, for example, in, in the F three W at the end of last season, where there was actually quite a bit on the line, particularly before the actual match actually kicked off. But it's I, I, I'm doing a very long way of saying that I'm a big fan of this derby and I feel good when I watch it and I'm excited for this game because of, on top of all of that, they both play really good football. And also we're giving it far too much discussion because it doesn't take place until the 11th of December. And I'm, yet I'm still excited. But I, yes. I'm I'm excited too, but we've got a couple of weeks away from the A-League. A way to come back to you can tell where You can tell, though, that we're sad to say goodbye f- to it temporarily, even though the, the reasons are valid uh, and the reason you can tell we're so sad to say goodbye because we're clinging onto it. We've nearly extracted a... A full 90 out of a show called the Oz Football Hour, not the hours, so I am going to have to bring it to a close as we round off the final game of the the, the season or the season so far, I should say. Uh, Oscar, it's going to be all World Cup here at Football Nation Radio for the foreseeable future. We'll be replacing the Oz Football Hour with uh, a World Cup roundup, which we'll be doing on Tuesdays and Thursdays in addition to, to Sufin. Uh, so it'll be, you know... A whole bunch of people involved. You, yourself, uh, I think Pakua, sorry, the, the new one of the new A League women's commentators for this season as well. If you haven't caught that news online, uh, shout out to Pakua Frimpong, Taryn Hedo, and Georgia Rajic as well, who are going to be the new callers of uh, a different feel for the A League women's. And Radio Dub will also be returning yeah. this season as this Thursday, sorry, as well. So uh, keep your eye out for that. But we're going to wrap it up here on the Oz. I'm excited football. for that weekend as well, the weekend of double. Yes. It's, it's, it's going to be good. We'll say goodbye in the Oz Football Hour, uh, lest it become the Oz Football Hours. Uh, from myself, Lucky Flanagan, and from, from Oscar Rutherford, uh, we'll see you in a different guise uh, at the same time slot next week on Tuesday for a bit of World Cup content. But until then, uh, goodbye for now. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind Topo Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Yeah! Up like a salmon, a spawning salmon. And Diamante again! Oh, he's done it! Unbelievable kick. Come on here.